Hello and welcome to the Macademy podcast series. Um, so I'm Gordon Ritchie, I'm a supervising associate in our regulatory team in London. Um, with me I have Doug Robinson. Um, would you like to introduce yourself Doug? Sure, so I'm Doug Robinson, I'm a managing associate in the disputes team at Simmons in London and I specialise in digital assets. Great, so as I'm sure you'll be aware we're doing a series of podcasts, publications, webinars um, to help you engage with Mika and to find out everything that you need to know about it. So in this podcast, we're going to be discussing the market abuse regime, which will be uh, coming to force under Mika for crypto assets. So Doug, to set the scene, can you explain a bit why the Mika market abuse regime is an important development? Sure. Um, I think the reason it's important is that today there is no um, uh, market abuse regime in the EU, which is specific to crypto assets, unless those assets also constitute financial instruments. Uh, within the sense of MIFID uh, and therefore bringing them within the scope of the existing market abuse regime for uh, financial instruments under the market abuse regime or MAR in the EU. And as a large number of tokens, particularly the major ones, do not constitute financial instruments um, for the purposes of MAR, it means that the market is largely unregulated today from a market abuse perspective. And that does make it relatively uh, susceptible to abusive practices. For example, a 2021 report from Deloitte estimated that as much as 90% of crypto trading volume could be susceptible to abusive practices. Okay. So seriously, there's a problem there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so Mika is going to change that by creating a, a market abuse regime in the EU for the crypto market, which is going to be very similar to the MAR regime for financial instruments uh, and that will you know, be to the benefit of everyone who's a participant in the market um, but it will also impose some regulatory burden on crypto asset service providers who are licensed under Mika because there'll okay. be uh, certain things they'll have to do to comply. Okay so the crypto market is global and cross-border as we're all aware so what's going to be in scope of the Mika market abuse regime in terms of tokens and where they're traded? Sure. So the scope is going to extend to cover any any action that concerns a crypto asset which is admitted to trading or for which a request to be admitted for trading has been made on trading platforms which are licensed under Mika. Um, however, an important point of distinction, I suppose, to draw here between uh, Mika and MAR is that uh, unlike MAR, Mika's scope will not extend to cover things like <clears throat> derivatives, for example, which are economically linked to the crypto assets that are emitted to trading. And in MAR, those kinds of instruments are in scope because of the potential for participants to achieve the same economic effect uh, as insider trading or abuse through transacting in related instruments, uh, such as derivatives. However, Mika isn't going to provide an equivalent uh, level of protection in that respect. Okay. And what will constitute inside information in the context of Mika and digital assets? So that's presumably quite important point. Absolutely, it is. And the definition will be, I think, very familiar to anyone who's familiar with the the MAR regime. It's very close to that. It's information of a precise nature, which has not been made public, which relates directly or indirectly to one or more issuers of crypto assets, which, if it were made public, would be likely to have a significant effect on the price of those assets. And for these purposes, information would be likely to have a significant effect on the price of a crypto asset if a reasonable holder of that asset would be likely to use it as part of the basis for their investment decisions. And 
the definition definition is also going to capture information about pending orders um, if that information relates to the issuer or the crypto asset and would have the same um, significant impact on price. Okay. And and what are the consequences going to be of information being inside information under Mika? Well, there are already three key ones, and again, they're very similar to, to MAR. Um, so firstly, uh, if you're an issuer, you'll have obligations to disclose inside information uh, to the market as soon as possible, unless you can justify delaying disclosure on the basis that immediate disclosure would be likely to prejudice uh, your legitimate interests. Um, delay would not see the public and you could ensure the information was kept confidential during the period of delay. So that's the first, uh, the disclosure obligation. The second is the um, prohibition on unlawful disclosure of inside information. So this is really where somebody in, in their job, for example, um, learns inside information and then discloses it to somebody else they know in a way that's not um, not through the usual um, channels for disclosure to the market. And then finally, there's the you know, the obvious prohibition on insider dealing. So somebody in possession of information that comes in the definition can't trade on the basis of that information or they are insider dealing. Okay. And so how does market abuse get dealt with by Mika? Well, m- market abuse is prohibited. And again, similar to Ma, the, the kinds of conduct which may constitute market abuse are quite broadly defined. And I think that's intentional so as to be flexible and capture new types of abusive practices as they emerge over time. <clears throat> However, some of the, you know, the examples of practices which are going to be included and which are identified in, in Mika are things like pump and dump schemes where um, somebody um, engages in significant purchases to artificially push up a price. Uh, and encourage others to do the same before then selling out and the price collapses. Things like spoofing and layering, where multiple yeah. transaction orders are placed to create a misleading impression of the bid and offer in the market, uh, and then the orders are cancelled before execution. And then there's the, the sort of outright <clears throat> distribution of false or misleading information to the market with the with the you know, uh, intent or likely outcome of deceiving people who participate in the market about the market in a particular asset. And I think some of those practices will be particularly difficult to identify in a crypto context, given the way the market's structured and how the yeah. underlying technology works compared to you know, traditional share markets. So um, the fact that, you know, if you're a participant, you can hold multiple accounts across different venues, different wallets, um, may make it easier to do things like spoofing or wash trading. And then the pseudonymity of pseudo anonymity, sorry, of um of digital assets and wallet ownership or control will make it a bit more difficult to identify where people are coordinating in that way. You know, on the other hand, there you have um the immutable nature of the blockchain, meaning that where f- practices are identified which are abusive, there's probably going to be a greater ability to track yeah. where the proceeds of that have gone and recover them. That makes sense. So if that covers the obligations of issuers and market participants, um, are there any obligations imposed on Mika licensed crypto asset service providers in respect to market abuse? There are, yes. So if you're if you're a Mika licensed firm, um, you, you are going to have obligations, particularly where you're professionally arranging and executing transactions in crypto assets to put in place 
effective systems of controls and arrangements to prevent and detect market abuse. And that's going to include an obligation to submit suspicious transaction order reports where uh, there are circumstances indicating the market abuse may have taken place. And what that means really in practice is that CASPs are going to have to invest in things if they haven't already like monitoring and surveillance systems. So not just looking for um, things like financial crime, for example, which you know, commonly happens today through uh, analytics, but also looking for uh, activity which is suspicious because it could be abusive taking place over their platform. Okay. And I guess the big question then, finally, what are the potential sanctions? So if a person does breach the Mika market abuse regime, what happens to them? Sure. Well, um, the, the Mika regime is civil. It's not criminal. Okay. Um, so the penalties are civil, uh, although it, Mika does not prohibit member states introducing their own criminal laws to to govern this if they wished, which would be additional. Yeah. Um, but because the, the the regime is civil, the kind of sanctions you'd be looking at are things like fines, disgorgement of profits, or loss of license if you're a licensed firm and you're not complied. And the maximum fines, I mean, there's, there's a range of different um, penalties and fines, but to give a flavour of, I suppose, the maximum, um, if you're a corporate, you could be fined 15 million euros or 15% of your total turnover. So if you're a large business, it's potentially a very large number. Yeah, that's something to think about for sure. Well, thanks very much, Doug. That's, um, that's really helpful. I hope all the people listening have found that interesting and informative. Um, as ever, if you've got any questions on that, um, feel free to contact Doug or me. Uh, our emails should be uh attached to the the podcast and or any of the other Amica team. Um, Thank you very much.